Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. The past few years have only served to highlight what allowing Westminster to make choices for us is like. So let's make the choices we want for our families and our communities right here in Scotland. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP. Now let's find out who's joining me on Scotland's Choice today. Hi Drew, I'm Gordon McIntyre Kemp. I'm the Chief Executive of Business for Scotland, uh, the Business and Economic Campaign for Independence. Uh, and also the leader of Believe in Scotland, the grassroots supporting independence campaigning organisation. Uh, delighted to be here with you on Scotland's Choice podcast today. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Gordon. And before we get into the meat, uh, the meat of this episode, could you give us a brief history of Business for Scotland and, and what it is that you, you know, you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, for sure. Um, so basically, we started in 2011. Uh, when we realised there was going to be an independence referendum that was myself and four or five other people in business that I knew supported independence. And we grew during the 2014 referendum to being uh, 500 uh, businesses uh, strong with a mailing list of 5,000 um, uh, business supporters of, uh, of independence. We were the largest spending campaign on either side uh, in 2014, of, of the registered campaign groups, I think we spent some like 134,000 pounds in the last six weeks, just uh, uh, as a vehicle for uh, business people to to come out for independence and say that they thought Scotland would be better off uh, as a result of independence, etc. Uh, we did our job quite well. Uh, the majority of entrepreneurs uh, from poll that was done afterwards voted yes, um, and uh, more people after. Uh, 2014 believed that Scotland would um, uh, prosper as an independent nation than when we started, probably about a 10 to 15 percent increase. So we delivered that um, uh, side of the of the referendum. We didn't win, but I guess we got close enough to uh, to start again. And I think the everything's changed since then. Brexit, in particular, the cost of living crisis. Uh, complete and utter economic mismanagement uh, and a lack of care from Westminster has uh, opened the door for another referendum and our organisation is going to reach from the front again and uh, the, the big difference uh, this time is that uh, I think we're going to win independence. They, uh, I certainly agree with you there. The, the, the big thing that people use Business for Scotland uh, for is uh, clearly it's got such a great resource of information and commentary there for people to go and look at. So, And, and I'd encourage anybody to do that. But you mentioned Brexit uh, there. The UK government's own Office for Budget Responsibility has stated that the long-term economic impact of Brexit will be at least twice that of COVID. Uh, how do you feel that um, Brexit has affected Scotland's economy specifically? Well, specifically, there's a couple of things. I mean, apart from the fact that, to begin with, uh, in particular, uh, there was the backup of lorries, there was seafood rotting on the piers, etc. And that, you know, and even even to this day, large queues, lots of paperwork, making it more difficult to export. It's always going to hurt Scotland more. And we said this because we actually were uh, campaigned for Remain in the uh, Brexit referendum. And the issue is that we always felt that as a uh, as the only nation with consistent uh, surpluses in goods exported, whiskey takes up about 20 
25 uh, percent of uh, of all the, the the food and drink exports of the entire UK, etc. Um, are oil and gas uh, or manufactured goods with with on tourism, etc. With all of those exports, uh, it was always going to hurt Scotland. Brexit was always going to hurt Scotland disproportionately hard. More people's jobs rely on exporting from Scotland. Um, and also we're a little bit further away from the port of Dover, therefore slow down to the port of Dover, make it more difficult. So those those, those sort of issues. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you've got the loss of foreign labour. And it's not just people th- people automatically think of yeah, farms picking soft fruits, you know, raspberries and strawberries, etc., that we grew in Perthshire and the, you know, Tayside, etc., on the East Coast in particular. And yes, we can't get the foreign workers. Yes, there is a, a real problem there as well. Hospitality, uh, care homes, they require foreign workers. Now, although the, the, it's not a, a complete stop, you cannot come to uh, this country sort of situation, we do have a situation where they just don't feel welcome, so less and fewer and fewer are coming. Um, but if you look at Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, which may be about to be ripped up, still really have access to the European Union. And it has a hard border, if you want to call it that, between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. But in the last quarter that are figures for, Northern Ireland's economy grew by 1.4% versus Scotland's at 0.9% and England's at uh, 0.6%. Wales, I think, uh, uh, fell about Mm 0.3%. So you've actually got a case study there of Northern Ireland, still in the EU with a hard border with the rest of the UK, is the highest performing economy in uh, the UK right now. The slight surprising thing about that is it never has been before. Yeah, yeah. It's always been the one that's performed worst. So actually you've got a case study there as to, as to what independence and rejoining the EU will, will do. But you know, we've got inflation, inflation right across Europe, to be honest. But in terms of how it impacts on consumers, France and other nations have been able to actually um, uh, cap energy prices, etc. And um, so, although inflation has happened everywhere, Brexit is part of why Britain can't deal with inflation. And of course, those, um, those and, costs, those costs have been uh, made even uh, higher. The, the cost of goods have been made higher because of the the, the delays, the red tape, the uh, the, the issues yeah. over uh, the fact that it's just not worth people exporting to us, um, and uh, and it's harder for us to export out as well. Yeah, and you know, we've got the worst projected growth in the G20. I think only Russia has uh, worst projected economic growth uh, next year. So the UK economy is expected to flatline. We've got uh, 7.5, I think, right now. We're projected to go to 9. Uh, about a year ago, I predicted it would be 10. So I'm still holding on to my projection of 10 for this year, hit, hit, topping out at 10% this year. Um, and if inflation is going to hit that much, you're going to see interest rates go up as well for mortgages if people aren't on fixed mortgages. Uh, and so basically we're looking at the potential, well, not the potential, we're going into recession. Because if, it, if inflation is as high as it is, if inflation is 10%, then in the long term that damages your economy. But in the short term, it should have a little bit of growth because factory prices are going up. Um, but for the fact that we're going to get 10% inflation with zero growth means we're technically, well, not technically, but we're, we're um, philosophically already in uh, recession. The economy is flatlining. There's going to be a major correction, yeah. and it's going to affect house prices, and it's going to be quite difficult. And that is the, the you know, we have so Brexit is just simply one of the tools by which the UK government has, for some reason that we just cannot understand and unknown to ourselves, 
uh, decided to dismantle the uh, UK economy. And, and you were talking about trade there, it's something I cover here at Westminster. A lot of people are perhaps unaware that the vast majority of our manufactured goods, the things we actually make in Scotland, were actually exported outside of the uh, UK. And it's a lot of things mm -hmm. like financial services, insurance, even uh, renewable electricity and, and gas and the like that uh, make up the bulk of the, the transfers to the rest of the UK. I, I want to uh, yeah. to follow up that question. The, the, the saying that um, some people in the unionist science say that uh, becoming independent from the UK would have a similar impact to Brexit. Why is that not the case? I mean, we all know there are going to be uh, issues and problems to overcome, but why would that not be the case in the longer term? Well, first of all, I mentioned before the, the Northern Ireland situation. Now, there is an absolute case study in how uh, having even having a hard border with the rest of the UK, but the Northern Ireland agreement allowing Northern Ireland to effectively stay within the EU to have access through Ireland to the EU has made its economy grow. So, you know, maybe that's why they want to dismantle that case study uh, before the independence referendum. Um, and the other thing is that it's a negative to leave the EU and dismantle all of those trade deals that you have and then go and try and create trade deals from a position of, of, of weakness for the, all the other nations in the world. It's a positive to maintain your sovereignty, to get all the sovereignty that Westminster holds over Scotland, to get all of those fiscal levers and tools and policy tools, bring them back to Scotland and start making decisions for the benefit of Scotland, uh, whilst also rejoining uh, the EU and having access to the European market. So as long as we have a plan, as long as we gain sovereignty, as long as we gain access to the European market, it's going to be the exact opposite of Brexit. Mm. Um, and that's why it's, it's a spectacularly good idea. I do want to say, though, that there's a couple of, of, of things people say that on, on the unionist side of this argument, is to say, well, the, the Scottish independent supporters should tell the truth. They should be honest about the, the difficulties and the transitions. That they should say at least there's going to be some pain. Um, and I thought about that. And, you know, it sounds kind of reasonable request. And I thought about it. And I thought, well, actually, from day one of independence, every single decision Scotland's government makes will be for the benefit of Scotland. So from day one, everything's going to be better. Mm -hmm. From day one, we're going to be saying, no, we're not going to have that role that disadvantages our renewable sector in, in Aberdeen. We're going to have better policies for that. We're going to invest here. We're going to invest there. So actually, in terms of straight away, I don't see it as being painful. I see it as being a real opportunity. There will be some change. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you want to talk about the transition difficulties, you've got 30,000 civil servants working in England, taking out of the Scottish budget, so paid for by Scotland already, who you're going to have to create those jobs in Scotland. DVLC in Swansea, for instance. Well, yes, so there is a little bit of transition. I wouldn't call it pain, because what I would do is I would take the DVLC in Swansea, that 450, 500 jobs that are required to process driving licenses for Scottish people, and I'd put them in uh, the freeze. Mm -hmm. That's a transition pain. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's movement, there's buying computers, there's moving, etc. But we're going to be getting 30,000 families, on average two or three people per family, moving back to Scotland, and their money is going to be spent in Scotland. I think this is an opportunity. So I think it's just a case of unionists are very much the glass half empty type of people, aren't they? Indeed. And I think, you know, if you're talking about problems and uh, issues, you only have to look at where they've taken us to just now with their decisions over Brexit, with uh, all of the things that they're, they're, they've done at Westminster pretty much over the past uh, number of years, you know, there's uh, there's very little there that you can look to celebrate. Most of it 
is actually taken us in a darker place. I mean, I won't go in on this discussion to talk about immigration, but just one uh, example, you were talking about people uh, coming here and you know being able to work here and so forth. That, that, uh, but some of the hostile environment policies that we're having to put up with are a pretty dark uh, aspect of being in the UK at the moment. But, but let's carry on busting some myth myths, uh, namely the one uh, claiming that potential investment from Scotland is being put off by the talk of independ independence. We had, if you're, you will recall this very well, uh, Gordon, we had all the scare, scare stories in 2014 yep. about all the big businesses moving south of the border. Why, why is that not a credible argument? Well, amongst other things, uh, you, you, you nailed it right there. There were scare stories in 2014 saying Scotland's got a strong track record in inward investment. I know a bit about that. I used to work for several years. I was and the headquarters of Scottish Enterprise as a senior national economic planning executive. I worked on inward investment projects, and Scotland does extremely well for an inward investment. Uh, in 2014, they said it was all going to dry up. And when they published, after we voted no, they published the figures for 2014, it turned out it was a record year for inward investment. So, you know, so many of these scare stories have actually been proven completely wrong, not, not least the one that the only way to stay in the EU is to vote no. You know, so a lot of these stories have fallen apart quite a bit. Um, but actually, I think we've now had Ernst & Young, uh, or no, you've got to call them EY now, they've changed the name, I'm showing my age there. EY uh, do a survey every year, and Scotland has had four years of continuous growth. I believe this last set of figures uh, for the 2021 uh, period was a 14% increase in uh, inward investment projects and 125% increase in inward investment jobs. Now, these companies are coming here and, you know, that, that, out of my window there you can see, out of the dirty window there you can see the, the King's Deed that in Glasgow you've got a lot of financial companies coming to Glasgow, Morgan Stanley, etc., thousands of jobs and single offices. These companies are very much aware they're not going to go, oh, is there a possibility Scotland might become independent? They, they have even known that. I believe the risk guy that, that Morgan Stanley have even said, yeah, we know you're probably going to become independent. We don't care. You know, because they, they're multi, multinational companies. Um, and, you know, if, if you said to them, we're not going to be part of the UK, but this is the border arrangement we'll have with the UK, yeah. but we, we plan to rejoin the EU, they'll go, oh, there's benefits for that. It's change. We might not really want change, but you know what? We can make that work fine. And so they've done a risk analysis of coming here, and they're still coming in record numbers. So it is—it's a—it's an absolute complete myth. Yeah, yeah. Scotland has a, a, a range of different sizes of business. Famously, we have a, a very strong entrepreneur, entrepreneurial economy with a lot of smaller, medium-sized businesses. With all that you've just said in mind, what are some of the ways that independence would benefit businesses of of all sizes in Scotland? Well, I think that um, London. Uh, emphasis on big corporates as far as they're concerned big corporates plc's london city investments finance hedge funds mm. so many of the uh, of the i was going to say the chancellor's an ex-hedge funder but things are changing quite quickly so uh, <laughs> not as of the day it's not but you know so many of the ministers come from investment backgrounds etc and they they live in that bubble and they only think about that whereas scotland's economy the vast majority of scotland's economy is small to medium-sized businesses it's entrepreneurs, it's people starting businesses, taking risks, risking losing their houses, creating jobs for first five, 10, 20, 30, 100 people, et cetera, and eventually have them work really hard, they get the fruits of the labor, and that's where a lot of 
of entrepreneurs come from, which is why business was not only this, because so many entrepreneurs that started the businesses from scratch became wealthy, but they see they're entrepreneurs. They see opportunities. That's what it, the word means. Yeah. You know, they look for opportunities and they see independence as, a, as an opportunity. Certainly now, more and more people are seeing independence as a potential opportunity. Um, the problems that they have is that they're fighting fires every day because of Brexit and inflation and and just you know increased uh, costs, etc. Um, so how would it benefit businesses of all sizes? I think we can get rid of the corporate PLC focus and actually start focusing on these entrepreneurial businesses. Start doing what Germany does. Germany has this uh, this economic plan based around what they call the the Mittelstadt, which is the middle-sized businesses, yeah. and that is the engine of Germany's growth, the engine of its employment, the engine of its innovation. And um, well, that's what we should have here. Where we should be, we should be concentrating here. Um, we need to invest in renewables, and Westminster's not interested in renewables because if you want to, we have one percent of the the UK's of Europe's population, but about twenty five percent of its renewable potential, energy potential. Um, that's an even better position than we were in with oil and gas. So basically, uh, we need to re- invest in that and transition from oil and gas to renewables. Westminster looks at that and says, "Well, we have to invest in Scotland, though that that's built nuclear power plants in, in England mm-hmm. for all that money." And so basically, our biggest opportunity is just being left uh, unfulfilled. Um, We've got to start investing in high-tech businesses. We've got to invest more in close-to-market research and development. That's not what big corporations do. Um, And the thing is that small companies, if small companies grow their businesses by 10%, then they go and they employ more people to meet the needs of more customers. If large companies grow their business by 10%, they pay bigger dividends than they buy a robot <laughs> to get rid of workers. Yeah. So, you know, the, the emphasis in Scotland has to be, sure, there's always going to be big corporates, mm-hmm. but the emphasis of where we think there's real added value should be in small businesses. And of course, the biggest opportunity is rejoining the EU. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we're, if we're, I believe we should maintain the pound after independence. Uh, it's crashed now. I'm going to try off the top of my head. I'm going to try and remember. I think it's gone down in the last 12 months, something like 14 or 15 percent. Mm. Um, and you know, it was almost two dollars, uh, two dollars to the pound in 2007, and we're now at 119, 118, something like that. So you know, we're seeing the pound drop, and that's one of the things that's driving inflation. And even if you're an exporter, it doesn't really help because manufactured exports. Great for it's great for whiskey because everything's made and grown in Scotland and then and then exported. But if you're a manufacturer, you're buying components in China, then the falling pound means your component costs are going up. So it's not as simple as people seem to think it is. So yeah, there's lots of benefits uh, for businesses, small to medium-sized companies, etc. We can start growing our economy. We, we should be looking at 3.5 to uh, 5% growth the year after independence, as opposed to zero, which is kind of predicted now over with the UK. Mm. Well, Gordon, we, we talked earlier about some of the scaremongering of 2014. Um, I want to move on to some of the promises that were made in 2014, and particularly the infamous vow. Now, it, you know, you'll remember as well as I do this promise, the extensive further powers to be delivered in a timely manner. Uh, since then, we've seen some tax levers transferred to Holyrood along, along with some very, very limited social security administrative powers. I get a lot of stick for saying that, you know, from unionists for saying that they haven't delivered on the vow. Do you think the West of Westminster parties can genuinely say that these were 
uh, delivered. So the issue about the vow is it was actually from Gordon Brown. It wasn't from the government, and therefore they didn't feel that they needed to uh, live up to those promises. Well, David, Cameron, no, David, no Cameron, David Cameron was a signatory. That well, he, three days after the vow in the morning uh, of the referendum, yeah. Cam Cameron made his famous English votes for English laws speech uh, at Downing Street, didn't he? Absolutely, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't something. It wasn't a law that was passed. It wasn't something that was that was guaranteed. Yeah. It was simply uh, a politician's lie just before a referendum. I mean, all of the promises they made, such as rolling fees on mobiles will come back, or that was a scare story, etc. That that food prices go up. Um, you know, and, and all of these things are happening. And they said energy prices would go up. They said we'd be out of the EU if we, if we, yeah. if, unless we stayed in the in the United Kingdom. So basically, all of the things that they were saying have now uh, failed to materialise. There has been some extra powers, but just as they've given us some powers, with the other hand, they're taking other powers away. They're they're taking away the the human rights, uh, etc. And I, I think there's, there's there's a real issue here that you have. Westminster saying, oh, don't worry, we're, we're taking back control. We're going to make things better mm -hmm. for the UK economy by taking away your basic human rights, your basic workers' rights, and not, uh, not applying safety standards that are standard across Europe, et cetera, like that. So actually what is clear that they're doing is they're creating a, um, I don't want to say dystopian future or right-wing neo-economic dystopian future, and some people might think that's exactly the way to go. Yeah. I happen not to, and most entrepreneurs, and most all, all of our business members are, are totally against that sort of approach. But that's a danger of where we're going, and to get there, there's going to be an economic crash first in order to uh, allow them to force um, uh, changes on the United Kingdom. So we've got, we've got a situation where um, the economic approach of the UK government is just failing completely, yeah. Uh, they've offered us some powers, but we haven't got the powers we need. We haven't got the powers to run our own economy the way we want to, to invest massively in renewables, uh, to boost research and development. We don't have the powers to change immigration rules and get the right manpower, women power as well, into our country. So essentially, uh, the powers they've given us are just a few little tick boxes to say they've done something. Mm -hmm when actually we need real substantial powers in the world that we've got right now, it requires us to be making the right decisions for Scotland, not crazy uh, decisions that are only any good for the City of London, and even then maybe not. Yeah, my, my issues with uh, that promise, with those uh, powers that uh, were not really transferred to Scotland as they promised, was that they were, you know, were built up to, to be told that this was going to be federalism, uh, at least the best they could get within the... Uh, UK setup, and uh, not only did we find that, you know, when I was elected in 2015 and the Scotland Act was going through, that every single amendment uh, by uh, the Scottish MPs, and you know, and include uh, others as well that that were not in the SNP, although we very, there was only three at that time, was rejected by the UK government. They were just uh, rejected out of hand. But most importantly, yeah. um, you know, by even though there were some powers transferred. Uh, action since then, like the Internal Market Act, have been a betrayal of that because they've just simply given the UK government the ability to override the powers of the Scottish Parliament. So for me, that's a real failure of, of the vow. But we've already established, though, Gordon, about you know going back to business, we've already established how important rejoining the EU is for the Scottish economy. And uh, recently, um, Labour has given up and vowed to make 
Brexit worked, so they've adopted the uh, the the, uh, the tagline that's been used by the Tories. Yeah. Uh, Keir Starmer has also categorically ruled out working constructively uh, with the SNP to oust the Tories. Do you, do you think, in your view, that, that it shows that whether red or blue, Westminster parties are essentially the same and, and simply don't have the best interests of Scotland at heart? You could absolutely make... Well, first of all, I don't think any Westminster party has the best interests of Scotland at heart. And frankly, they shouldn't do. We are 8.4% of the UK population. They have to govern for London and the South East, where most people live. That's how you get elected. It's, it's the engine of the UK economy. So actually, that's just an imbalance that needs to be corrected. We need to make decisions here. Devolution help, independence will help further. But yet, any party of any colour making decisions in Scotland for the benefit of Scotland will be significantly better for Scotland than any party of any colour making decisions for the benefit of London and the South East. Yeah. And that there is independence in a nutshell. Uh, independence is normal. It's how countries work all over the world. Scotland is a country. The, UK is not a country, it's a union, it's a political and economic union. Um, and there's no reason why, if we end the political union, that we can't continue to trade. Northern Ireland has shown that that can happen, but we can also improve our trade elsewhere. So, yeah, I think that that, that um, as far as uh, Keir Starmer goes, I mean, I almost forgot his name there. I had to remind myself what his name was. <laughs> Officially, it's Sir Keir Starmer, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I, I'd never give anybody the source. Um, but uh, <laughs> if... Uh, you know, he's not going to be, I do not believe he will win. Boris yeah. uh, Johnson may not lead the Conservatives into the next uh, uh, general election. That's pretty obviously now becoming something a, a lot more likely over the last couple of days with all the resignations of Sunak and Javid and about, uh, well, everybody uh, else. Um, but if they replace Johnson with someone else, what are they going to find? They're going to find someone who can appeal to Scotland? No. But the only people that can replace them are going to be more right-wing uh, care less about Scotland, but not be as humorous and entertaining to watch. Um, so <laughs> basically, they've, they've nothing to offer Scotland at all. Um, and, you know, that's, I, I just don't see the situation getting any better, even if they dump Johnson. So um, it, it's been really great having you on the podcast. One final question that we ask all our guests on Scotland's Choice. If you could make a policy or change an existing one, which we currently can't due to the fact that we're tied to the Westminster system. What would it be and why? Okay, and it would actually be corporation tax. I'm going to do this very much from a business point of view. Corporation tax, 19% right now for larger corporations, um, uh, moving up to 25% next year, I think, in April. Uh, smaller corporations with or smaller businesses with lower profits can still get 19%. The trouble is with raising corporation tax, is what you do is you actually raise tax evasion, you raise offshoring. They'll never pay it. Yeah. So you won't actually see an increase in the in the in the revenues you gain from that. Um, and all it all it does is it moves taxation around from uh, from the UK to, to, to other countries, etc. The UK tax laws are the the most complex in the world, and therefore the easiest to get round. I think that's quite deliberate as well. So what would I do? Um, I'm a big champion of the well-being economic approach. And, you know, that, the well-being social economic approach is something I think we were the first business with Scotland and I think thanks to economics was yeah. the first to map out what that means if you actually to look at it as an alternative to socialism or to capitalism, etc. And the well-being approach would probably have what I would call a, uh, a benefit corporation tax. 
And that is to say, fair enough, the UK is going to move our tax before independence up to 25% uh, for large corporations. What I would do is I would get those large corporations in a room and I'd say, you don't need to pay 25%. We're not going to, we're not going to lower corporation tax, but what we're going to do is we're going to give you benefit corporation tax credits if you contribute to the well-being of our country. Mm. If you hire lots more young people, lots more disabled people, if you hire uh, people... Uh, 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 females in, in senior roles and get gender balance right. If you invest a certain amount of profit and close to market research and development, if you uh, clean up your industry and if you actually invest in renewables or you invest in um, uh, anti-pollution techniques, etc., if you increase your exports, if we do all of these things that match the well-being, if you, if you engage with your local community, if you do get your, your people doing charity work, if you plant trees, etc., all the sort of things. We'll give you tax credit. Mm -hmm. And if you do all of those things, then we, including paying the, the real uh, living wage, not the UK's fake living wage, but the government's yeah, fake living wage, but the real living wage, then if you do that, we'll give you tax credits and we can get your tax down to maybe even 15%, making us a low corporation tax country. But if they do all of those things, then our social security costs will half. People in poverty will disappear. Um, you know, people have good jobs, people have training, our workforce will be better trained, better educated, our economic growth will go through the roof, our foreign currency reserves, our exports will go through the roof. So even though we're saying to them, don't avoid tax, pay your tax, but do these behaviours and you will end up paying less than you do in the rest of the United Kingdom. And we can build a well-being economy together in which your company can thrive. I think that's kind of what independence is all about is about thinking differently thinking mm. what not, not what last century needs but what next century what this century we're living in the, the the challenges we face especially with the environment what what way of running our economy do we need to bring in to make that work and the well-being approaches is that and that's how we would handle the tax as well and what a way to believe in scotland uh, gordon mcintyre kemp from uh, business for scotland thank you very much indeed for joining us today on the scotland's choice podcast thanks for having me drew thanks for listening to scotland's choice you can find new and previous episodes of scotland's choice at scotlandschoice.scot and you can watch the full-length videos on youtube if you can share this podcast and our videos it can help others with their decision on scotland's future I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.